In the summer of 1968, a Catholic priest named Ivan Illich stood before a group of young people. These were college students who were taking part in a summer program organized by the Catholic Church in cooperation with John F. Kennedy's Alliance for Progress. The idea was to give young Catholics an opportunity to serve the poor in Latin America. Illich ran a center for intercultural understanding just outside of Mexico City at Cuernavaca, and these students had been gathered there to learn Spanish. In the talk, titled To Hell with Good Intentions, Ivan Illich spoke with the fervor of a prophet, boldly unmasking the motivations and misunderstandings that had led these students to Mexico. I recommend that you read the talk, but in short, Illich said that they were unlikely to do any good in Latin America. But in fact, they were doing much harm by exporting American values and priorities to the people and places that they would never fully understand. If you want to serve the poor, he told them, go do it in your own country, where at least you'll have the cultural and language understanding to know when they tell you to go to hell. He said that they should come to Mexico. They should come to learn, to listen, to enjoy the mountains and the flowers. But Please, he pleaded, do not come help. In reading our scriptures for this Sunday, I thought of Ivan Illich and his speech. In part, it was because Illich has the sound of Amos as he bores into the self-satisfaction of people who use respectability and religion as a cover for injustice, even to themselves. But more so, I felt like Illich provided a helpful way into understanding the message of our gospel reading. That message is an invitation away from exhausted helping and into a curious and joyful listening. It's a journey that begins by going back to our scriptures from last Sunday to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Illich believed that the Good Samaritan story was central to understanding the good news of Jesus. For him, one of the most important parts of that story was that the Samaritan, unlike the priest and the Levite, had absolutely no cultural or personal obligation to help. If anything, he was the enemy of the man in the ditch. To drive this point home, Illich often referred to the story as the parable of the good Palestinian. That freedom from obligation offered as a guide for our own love of neighbor because true love and mercy are responses of the gut and heart. The Greek word is splagekon. It means that the, the, man, that the good Samaritan responded right from his gut to the man in the ditch. This is important because Illich believed that we've far too often turned charity, 
having love for one's neighbor into a program or an institution. Just think about the change in language that we have around charity. If you hear that I have a friend who does a lot of charitable giving, what comes to your mind? Do you think of that person as someone who is probably frequently moved to, from their hearts and from their guts to respond to the people that they come across? Or do you think that this charitable giver is someone who frequently cuts a check to an organization to help people that they rarely, if ever, meet? Illich thought that this change in understanding was dangerous and undermined exactly the kind of freely given neighbor love that Jesus calls us toward, one that involves giving our own coat directly to the one who has none. Luke, I believe, also saw the need to correct this potential misunderstanding of the call to charity. That's why the Good Samaritan story is followed by Jesus' visit to the house of Mary and Martha. The Gospels, though we sometimes read them this way, are not just a random assortment of teachings and events from Jesus' life. Each Gospel writer has a clear and deliberate purpose for putting one story and teaching next to the other. We should take note, then, that our Gospel reading today is sandwiched just between the parable of the Good Samaritan and Jesus' teaching on prayer that we'll hear next week. The story of Mary and Martha is so familiar that most of you could just probably recite it to me. But I do want to call your attention to two key phrases. First, we're told that Mary listened to what Jesus was saying. The word here for saying is logon, like the logos, the word that became flesh in the Gospel of John. Logos was the name that the Stoic philosophers of Luke's time gave for the organizing logic of the whole cosmos. In listening to Jesus' teaching, there's the implication, then, that Mary isn't simply hearing a lecture on an interesting topic. She's actively absorbing a whole way of life, a new world that she can inhabit. On the other hand, we're told that Martha was distracted by her many tasks. The Greek word used here for distracted has a nice metaphor of movement along with it. Perispeo means literally to pull from around. Imagine something circling a center of gravity and then being pulled away from it. That's the sense of the Greek New Testament's understanding of being distracted. It's also good to note here that the word task is the word diakonia in Greek, which is the word from which we get our word deacon. We could accurately translate the phrase here as Martha was pulled away from the center by her many ministries. Think about that one for a minute. She was pulled away from the center by her many ministries. In Mary, we find a different posture. There will be a time when Mary is called to minister. 
But because she sat at the feet of Jesus, her way of doing it will be rooted in the way that he himself offered ministry. That way is one of love, not obligation. And it is always offered through deep and abiding relationship. Search the Gospels, but I think you'll find that Jesus never enters a house without being invited. He never heals someone without being asked to do do so. When Jesus encounters a blind man calling out from the roadside, he doesn't just go up and assume that he wants his vision healed. Instead, he says, what do you want me to do for you? In that question, he acknowledges the autonomy and personhood of the one in front of him. If we want to follow Mary in following Jesus, if we want to offer our help to those we encounter in need, then we must learn to hear and to listen. We have to take the time to develop relationships with particular people who have names and stories and gifts to offer. I've had various moments in my life of seeing this borne out. One was in the church that I served while I was a seminarian, right in the heart of Washington, D.C. There, State Department diplomats worshipped alongside homeless people, and K Street lawyers prayed with those who had just finished the night shift. This church offered a free hot breakfast and That was an act of organized charity. But the heart of the place was rooted in prayer and mutual joy, so that even those mills felt like the feast of God's kingdom rather than a handout. The rector there, who was my mentor in those years, made ample time in his life for prayer and creativity. I saw his Google Calendar once on his screen, and he had large blocks set aside just to make art. The first week of my summer internship, my sole assignment was to walk all the streets and alleys in a one-block radius of the church and to come back and tell him what I'd seen and who I'd met. In his example and the example of that church, I witnessed a way of loving neighbors that was honestly curious about the gifts that God was bringing through each person present. Such a curiosity is what comes when we discipline our helping by spending time at the feet of Jesus. So what's our call here at Christ Church? If we give up being distracted by our many ministries, what are we supposed to do with the needs in front of us. If we say with Ivan Illich to hell with good intentions, how are we to respond to the dire poverty and obvious suffering in our world? I don't have a clear answer to these questions, and I think that's part of the point. But I do have something with which I'm beginning my own discernment, something that's been echoing in my head. A few years ago, John McKnight, one of Illich's students, gave a talk to a group of pastors. His message to them was simple. Don't be helpful. Be curious. 
It's the message of his teacher in five words. And I think it's a good beginning place for our own response to a world in need. If we learn to be attentive, to listen like Mary, then we will be drawn into curiosity about those who are near us. What are their names and their stories? What are their desires and wants and needs? What gives them joy? What are the struggles that we share? What gifts can we accept from them? Such curiosity is not a cure for the pride and power into which many of us were educated, but it is a start. And when the time for ministry comes, we'll be more mutual, more convivial, more joyful, more deeply rooted in love. By being curious, we will find that we are more Christ-like. And living into the pattern of that logos, that way, is the best thing we can offer to a world in pain. Amen.